Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Woo. You guys can be seated. That, that song was what I like to call emotional terrorism because I did not see that coming. And um, you know, um, I was back behind the thing singing, crying my eyes out. And um, here's why. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. There's, a, there's some garbage theology out there. You'll hear it on the radio and on your podcast and on your TV that if you become a Christian, you won't have trouble in your life. Don't ever believe them. As a matter of fact, turn them off the minute you hear that. You know, they'll say, oh, if you, don't have, if you have trouble in your life, it's because you didn't blab it and grab it or name it and claim it or some kind of crap like that. I want you to know something. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, I go... To my father's house because in my father's house are many mansions and I go there to prepare a place for you and I stood back there singing you are good you are good in one of the darker moments of my life as an act of defiance but because here's the thing when it gets dark you turn the lights on. Amen? So let's do something tonight. Let's, let's just bow our heads and we're going to pray and then we'll get into God's word. Father God, we thank you for, for the fact that when, when the night, when it's so dark, you are right there. You've never let go. When it feels like you're, you're not there, we just have to open our eyes and you're there. That not for a moment will you ever forsake us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. I was waiting for that sucker. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. I was trying to figure out what to teach tonight. And... um. First and foremost, um, one, I want to give props to the, there's a, this doesn't just happen on accident every once a month on Sunday night. There's a lot of people that put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into making this happen. Let's give them a hand for serving us tonight. There's people that drive like an hour to come help set this thing up. So you, you, need, you need to know that. And I, I want to encourage you, get involved. Start helping. Um, buckle your seatbelts because Commons is taking off, guys. It is. It is. It is. So th this week, I, um, well, last week, actually, it's, it's gone by fast. But ba basically, um, my wife, Kelly, she, she told me on like a Sunday night last God, a week ago, two weeks ago, she said, hey, I, it's been weird. Like, 
I'm having trouble talking. And I was like, well, what do you mean? You sound fine. She goes, just, there's certain words that just won't come out. So I just, in my mind, I changed the word because I can't say it. I said, oh, that's weird. I, I do that all the time. I stumble over my words. But she's very precise in how she talks. So she said, I'm going to go to the doctor and see. And the doctor was like, oh, that is weird. Maybe you had like a mini stroke. We'll set up an MRI next week for you and whatever. And we'll do the thing. And then um, the, the two days later on a Wednesday afternoon, she called me. And she said, Sean, something is wrong. I can't talk. So I was in a meeting and I bailed and I sped over to the school where she works at Clovis Elementary, picked her up. We took her to the ER and, you know, and they, they, they rushed her in and they did a MRI and we're expecting, you know, like maybe she's having this mini stroke and we got to figure this out. And, and, uh, that was scary enough as it is. And then we walk, you know, we walk into the MRI results, you know, a couple you know, minutes later and the doctor says, man, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you got a tumor about this big right here. And he shows us a picture of it. And you're going to have to go have emergency surgery to get the, that thing taken out. So we'll put you in an ambulance and send you to downtown Fresno, the uh, Fresno community. So we, you know, we're, we're like, what, huh? Like, I just was about to eat a double-double. And now my wife has a tumor. So then, um, you know, we drive, we didn't take the ambulance, we drove. And um, we get there. And yeah, have you ever been to Fresno community? Um, it's in downtown Fresno, and um, I love Fresno, but <laughs> I'm from Oceanside, so I'm not really afraid of, like, hood, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I went walking around down there, I'll tell you later, but um, there's all kinds of characters in the emergency room, you know? Uh, I always say my first favorite third world country is Raider Nation, and then my second now is downtown Fresno, but anyway, so... My San Diego Chargers of Los Angeles beat them today. But anyways. So anyways, um, you know, the, we're there all night and the doctor, surgeon comes in the next morning. He says, yeah, I'm, he goes, I'm going to open your wife's head up and take this tumor out. And, and I'm pretty sure it's cancerous and it doesn't look good. And I want to warn you when we do this, she may never talk again. And I'm like, Okay, I know there's been moments in my life where I was thinking like, shut up, woman. You know, but I never wanted that to happen. And um, yeah, he began to give us all these grave circumstances and, um, and they, did, they ended up doing the surgery. And this is the crazy part, guys. When they did the surgery, th this is, my wife is a BA. I'm just letting you know, okay? <laughs> You have to know this. When, when he explained how they were doing it, he said, yeah, so we're going to put her under. And then after we put her under, we're going to wake her up in the middle of the surgery because I'm going to be operating on the part of her brain where, she t where, is, where her speech is. So she's going to be awake for the rest of brain surgery, okay? Like Silence of the Lamb style, guys. Like, hello, Clarice, kind of thing. And this dude is operating on my wife while she's awake and they're talking to her and she's talking back and he's fine tuning her brain as best she can and taking as much of this tumor out as he can. And, and um, you know, after a while, like her head's like pinned so she can't move it, you know, and she's like, what, is, what are you doing to me? And he's like, oh, I'm stapling you. <laughs> Crazy. And um, so now, you know, we, we meet with an oncology team on Wednesday to figure out how to treat this and, and get after it. And um, 
I want you to know something. We've cried a lot this week. We've been angry. We've been scared. But not for a moment has the Lord not been with us in the middle of that. I need you to know that. She woke up the morning that she got a tumor and in her devotional it was from Lisa Turkers who talked about how she, when she got her diagnosis of cancer, that was her morning devotional the day she found out she had cancer. You know, we're here alone in Fresno and, and um, we don't have family here and her mother and father just happened to be coming to Fresno on Wednesday when we checked her into the ER. So they showed up and took over with our kids. One of my best friends who's a pastor and his wife is going through cancer just happened to be driving by on Friday while she was in brain surgery and he stopped and ministered to me. As I was walking through the streets of downtown Fresno, which I told you I'm not afraid to hood. I'm listening to the new Elevation worship album and I know there's a third of the worship team judging me right now. They're like, oh. Elevation. We only like people with Australian accents. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe their jeans aren't tight enough. I don't know. But anyways, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. I was listening to it, and I'm just praying, and I'm listening to it walking, and, and There was this line in this song, it said, not for a moment have I been forsaken. The Lord is with me now. And he's been there. So I've got a series that I had been, I mean, it's crazy. I had planned to have not be speaking for the last two weeks. I, I planned a guy named Kenny Luck to come and speak on a Sunday morning. He happened to be an oncology chaplain and his message he gave us like months ahead of time happened to be the perfect message, um, not just for the church, but for me and Kelly as we watched online. And then um, th this week, Pastor Steve was already scheduled to teach. So I had another Sunday off, which was, which was great. But I had another series that I was planning to start this following week that I am gonna start. And I wanna encourage you to come because I just believe God has been lining all of this up the whole way. And this series, I'm letting you know, it's called Take Off Your Grave Clothes. And it's the story of Lazarus. It's gonna be five weeks, and I wanna encourage you to come and check it out because, uh, and I'm preaching all five weeks of it because I just feel like it's something, the Lord put it in me two years ago. I was, I was at Hume Lake, and I just got it, I was in my devotion, and I, I was praying, and, and I just sensed the Lord saying, you're gonna give this. And, and I, I assumed it was at Hume Lake. I was like, oh, cool, I've never spoken at Hume Lake, that'd be great. And then um, they ended up, uh, Hume Lake's never called me. So I, I, I was like, okay. And, and actually I wrote down, it was October 20th. And I said, and, and in my journal, it says on October 20th next year, you're gonna share this. And I was assuming October 20th at Hume Lake. Well, I ended up getting booked to speak at a um, nonprofit fundraiser um, for people getting out of addiction. And it happened to be on October 20th last year. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to give this message. So I asked the guy, I said, what do you want me to speak on? Because, you know, you don't give a sermon like an evangelistic sermon at a fundraiser dinner. And he goes, whatever you want, man. And I said, well, 
you sure? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bring whatever you want, man. Just go and be you. I go, how long I got? He goes, how, as long as you want. I'm like, you sure? <laughs> the commons people, all my, they, they know. Don't give him, don't say that to him. So I got up and I preached this message, get off, take off your grave clothes. And then I finished and, and I knew it landed. Like there, you can sense when the spirit's moving. And, um, but I didn't know how to close it. I'm not gonna have like an altar call at a fundraiser dinner. Like the point is to raise money for this nonprofit, not that. And I remember I walked off the stage and the MC, his name is H. Spees. He's a retired pastor. He works for the mayor right now. And his eyes were like saucers. And he, he looked at me as I walked off the stage. He goes, you can't leave them like this. <laughs> and he just walked on stage and did an altar call. And 16 people gave their life to the Lord that night. So it was insane. And never have I seen that at a fundraiser dinner. And they raised a ton of money too, don't worry. So um, anyways. Tonight, though, I want to read to you from um, the book of Ephesians because I want to talk to you about why the church is important. Ephesians, I, I give you a little background on this really quick. Paul has just talked about how um, at one point in history, anyone here Jewish? We have any Jewish brothers or sisters here tonight? None. Okay. You're all a bunch of Gentiles, Okay. Bunch of filthy Gentiles. That's okay, though. At one point in history, though, we were excluded from the promises and the covenants of God. And then Jesus came. And, 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 and Ephesians talks about how Jesus brought the two together. He brought the Jews and the Gentiles together to cre create a new way to be human. A new humanity is what, it, what he was creating. And it was called the church. And I'm going to read about it in a minute. But there's a sociologist. His name is Donald McGavern. And Donald McGavern talked about something called the homogenic unit principle. I know that's a lot of syllables for a Sunday night. Homogenic unit principle. Okay, so that's a lot of syllables, right? Here's what it means, basically. Is that human beings stick to their own kind. And it's totally true. I see it everywhere we go. If there's... Um, um, a language group, they stick to their own kind. If there's a, um, a socioeconomic group, they stick to their own kind. As a matter of fact, it was funny. I was talking to a, a church planner about church planning. He goes, I'm going to plant a multi-ethnic church with all different races as pastors, and, and, and I'm going to do it right here in North Fresno. And I said, that's not going to work. And he's like, why? And I said, well, because here's the thing. Um, by the time you get to third, fourth generation of an ethnicity, they are defined more by where they shop than what their heritage was. So there's socioeconomics, stick people together. Age, sticks people together. And, and that's kind of what human beings do. They pick these, these little tribes, and they're usually like-minded tribes. They, they look alike, they dress alike, they talk alike, they have all those things. And what Paul was saying the gospel did is it broke down all of that. And it brought all of us into a whole new tribe, a whole new identity. And I, and, and, and I want to read to you what he, what he says happens. Starting in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. I'd love it if you could stand in honor of God's word. God's word says this. It says, 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. You can be seated. I want you to look with me at verse 19 because I I think this is important. It says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So um, one of the things that turns people off from church a lot of times is the the kind of the right-wing political stance that evangelical churches tend to take in, in, in this world. And I, you know, at Clovis Hills, at the Commons, we, we just try, you know, I, I, I always quote Billy Graham because he said, look, we're not right-wing, we're not left-wing, we're for the whole bird. Because the truth is the gospel floats above both. And you don't have to become a Republican to be a Christian. And you don't have to become a Democrat to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, you need to become a Christian to be a Christian. And what you'll find is when you become a Christian, both of them have some stupid views. And I'm on AM talk radio, okay? Just letting you know. So he says, you're, you're no longer foreigners and strangers but you're now citizens. You have a new citizenship in God, God's country. And he says, you're part of God's household. I want you to understand something. Um, have you, home, a household, we, we need to talk about that for a minute. See, a lot of times when you think of home, you might think of a place. But home is not a place. It's not. Home is a relationship. It's relationships. And I, and I know this for a fact because I've lived in many places. And when I go back and visit those places, they're no longer home to me because there's no relationship there. I went and visited the house I grew up in. You know what? It was neat to see. It was nostalgic. I walked down memory lane. I was like, oh yeah, that's when I used to shoot BB guns at my neighbors. And oh, this is where I threw the cat in the pool. And this is, you know, all the mischief, all the mischief I did. But, but here's the thing. It wasn't home anymore because home is a relationship. And it says that God has now made you part of his household. In the ancient world, you have to understand something. The household wasn't just people like you. It wasn't just your friends. It was your family. And it wasn't just blood. It was people from all walks. If you were part of a household, there was usually a patriarch. There was a dad, a big daddy, right? Okay. And there might, there might have been a mom and there was a grandma and a grandpa. And there was, there was uh, you know, servants that worked there and there was cousins and and if someone was a widow and they didn't have a family a lot of times the families in the ancient world would bring her in and there'd be all kinds of people in this household and here's what I want you to understand the family of God isn't supposed to all look alike okay and here's the thing and I know and and millennials I'm talking to you guys I love you guys and it's really easy to get into yeah diversity But the family of God is not just multi-ethnic, it's multi-generational. 
And the old people of this church need you. They've sewed into you. They pay for all this crap. We had to do, listen, we did a $45,000 upgrade in this room in one month. That's because some old people that love Jesus know that you guys are the future. And they need you guys to be the church. Not to bounce around all over. You go to church once a month and go and you're, no, they need you to serve, to get involved. So, home is a relationship. And I believe this, as, as a believer, you, you, you've got to have a spiritual home. The great, great philosophers like Camus, um, Heidegger, they all talk about how as human beings, we all kind of have this sense of lostness, that we don't belong. You ever, you ever show up somewhere and you just felt like, you ever been new? Some of you guys came tonight and you're like, everyone's staring at me. We're not, I promise. It just feels that way. But we all have that, that, that sense that, that, that we're not home. And, and, and here, here's the deal. If you are without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are homeless. Because here's the thing. This life right now is very fragile. And in a moment, it can be taken. I was in the car with... with my oldest son, and we were talking about life, and, and we were talking about how, you know, we were talking about his mom, and he goes, well, you know, my life's been really good, so I, I kind of was waiting for something crappy to happen. So this is it. I said, yeah, and I, I just, I said, can I ask you a question, son? And he said, yeah, and I said, if you were to die tonight, where would you go and Why? That's the question I want to ask you. If you were to die tonight, where would you go and why? Well, I go to heaven because I'm good. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. It says for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So being good, being a part of the commons, singing worship songs, they don't get you to heaven. Drinking awesome coffee, having s'mores afterwards by the fire. All awesome. Don't get you to heaven, though. You have to have a spiritual home, and we'll talk about how you get that in a minute. But listen, if you're without God, ultimately you're without hope because this life is it, and then you die. And look at verse 20 and 21. I want, I want to read it to you in the message translation, though, because I think that, um, one, I have a man crush on Eugene Peterson. I just think he is insanely intelligent. And um, he translated the whole Bible by himself, okay? And the way he, he's, he's like a poet and an author and a scholar at the same time. And the way he translates this passage, I love it. This is verse 20 and 21. It says, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. You belong here 
with as much to the name Christian as anyone. So, so I want you to understand something before I read on. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I need you to know something. No matter how deep and dark your sin is that you've been hiding from people, and no matter how high and pious and righteous someone else may be in this room, you're entitled to the name Christian as much as the most righteous person in this room too right now. That's good news, isn't it? And then it says this. God is building a home. He's using all of us. The really dirty sinners and the really pious righteous people. He says he's using all of us irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus came to save you and not leave you in your sin, but take you higher to make you the person he created you to be. And you can wander around this life trying to figure out what it is that's going to make you happy. Some of you are like, oh, if I only had a significant other, oh, if I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and if I had that, then I'd be happy. Or, oh, if I only had a husband or a wife, or oh, if I only had a career, or oh, if I only could own a home, or oh, if I could only have children, or oh, if I could only, you know, have a better car, or oh, if my kids could go to a good college, or oh, and it goes on and on and on, no matter how old you get. And, and here's, what, here's what I want you to understand. In the end, none of that really matters. See, God is trying to take your life and do something great with it. But he will never force greatness upon you. You have to take hold of the life that he's given you. So you need a tribe, though. And it's not just friends, because I know you're like, I got my tribe, all my friends, all my homies, we take selfies together, it's great. <laughs> we, we Snapchat each other and Facegram and... <laughs> I'm trying to be an old person. Anyway, so I'm trying to relate to y'all. You, know, you, you need a tribe, but a tribe is, is more than just your friends. It's people that have gone before you. It's people that are behind you. Some of you could be sowing into the next generation already. You're like, I'm only 20. I'll tell you what, some of the most significant people in my life when I was a kid were college-age students that sowed into me. And see, you gotta, it takes time, though. And you got to commit to it. So, so millennials... Um, I, hear, I read all the time about how millennials are leaving the church. And not here. <laughs> I don't see it. And here's what I think is really going on. is lots of people are leaving the church. But here's what God's doing in, in America right now. Is he's re really separating the wheat from the chaff. You have to understand that. You know, there, there are people that are like, oh, give up on the church. And... and and, you know, they're, they're, really what they're pointing at is some, some institution that can't talk back to you or, or whatever. And, and it, it, it's not the church, though. The church is the people. And the minute you give up on the people, how can you give up on the people of God? Because you're one of them. And, and so, so here's really what I think is happening, though. 
is, um, you know, I was a youth pastor for 10 years and I, you know, I had, I basically spiritually raised a large group of millennials. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of them did leave the church. And let me explain to you, it wasn't the millennials' fault. I'm the, I was their freaking shepherd. It's my fault. And here's what I, I believe happened, is in, in church, we tend to make it so like, the moment you're a kid, you're separated, and you're with all little kids. And you're like, Jesus loves the little children. And you know, you do the Bible stories, and God loves you, right? And then you get into junior high and you're like, whoa, I'm in junior high. This is crazy. Let's play dodgeball, right? And you do that thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, a girl touched my arm. You know, and it's that thing. And you're only around junior hires. And then you get into high school and you're like, oh, I'm in high school. This is awesome. And you're only around high schoolers. And then, and then what happens by the time you're a junior or senior, you're like, they're so mature. I need something deeper. And then, so we create commons, and you start coming to this, and you're like, whoa, commons. And here's the thing. By the time you get to a certain age, and, and you show up in the main auditorium on a Sunday morning, you walk in, and you go, I don't know who the pastor is. I don't know these songs. I don't know these people. And see, our whole life, we have trained you that the church is all about you that it's going to minister to you as a kid, you as a junior higher, you as a high schooler, you as a millennial, and I'm here to tell you, we dropped the ball. Because the church is not about you. The church is about Jesus. And what I need you to know is it's about the people of God coming together. Every age. And the generations that have gone before you need you. And they want you. And they complain about you. I do too. <laughs> but I love you guys. So I want to talk to you just for a moment about the case for being a member of a church. And I know in this room there's a lot of people that go to different churches and that's great. Um, and you're always welcome at the commons. We, lo we love it. The, the more people, the better. Amen, right? Okay? But here's what I want you to do. Don't be that person that just is like, you ever, there was a movie called Fight Club, and in Fight Club, every night, Brad Pitt went out and fought someone different in a, at a different club, right? Don't be church club, where every night you're going somewhere different, and you don't really belong anywhere, and you're not contributing anywhere, I got no problem with you being in a Bible study five, six nights a week because actually that's probably better than being out <laughs> doing whatever you do, okay? I haven't been to a club in years. I, I'm imagining now you millennials are like out on the dance floor with your phone going, right? But anyways. Let, let me explain to you the case for church membership. You need to be a member of a church. And here's what I mean by a member of the church. That you are contributing. You are serving. You are giving. You are part where you could say, those are my people. And they can count on me. Not a group of friends. You already have that. But a tribe. With grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and little brothers and little sisters. A tribe, the Jesus tribe. See, membership is a funny word because I'm a member at GB3. 
And that really, that's a, we've kind of commodified that word. And what that means is that I give George Brown $54 every month and my family and I don't go. But here's the sad part. I think that's how the Christians treat the church. So they don't even give them 54 bucks. See, and when the Bible talked about being a member, it talked about being a part of the body. And if you are not connected to the body, you wither up and die. And some of you are wondering why you're in such a miserable place spiritually right now. It's because you've been disconnected from a body. So, I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read it to you. I don't know who the writer of Hebrews was, but she was smart. I'm just letting you know. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that word spur actually is a Greek word. It means agitate, poke, provoke. How we might provoke one another to good deeds. That's why I kind of get after you guys on a Sunday night. But listen. And then it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, don't give up meeting together. Let me, under, let me explain to you really what, what was going on there. See, in the, in the early, early church in the first century, I don't know if you know, but Jesus appeared to the disciples on a Sunday. And the Sunday was really the first day of the week. Okay, that was the day you go to work. And he appeared to them on a Sunday and they were blown away by it. And then he appeared again to them. He appeared to Thomas the following Sunday. From, and and they, they were like, whoa, there's something special about Sundays. And from that moment on, Christians knew that God was with them at all times. But something special happened when the church all gathered together on a Sunday in his name. That, that something transformative could happen. That the presence of Jesus somehow was heightened when they all came together. And here's what I've noticed. When the more of us come together, the more Jesus likes to show himself. So, so and you have to understand, culturally, that screwed up the whole system because that was their Monday. And it was an inconvenience to come and gather on a, on a Sunday. You know, that was like, I'm busy. I got stuff going on. But they just knew they needed to do it. And then see, culturally, they were all Jewish. So they rested on the Sabbath on a Saturday, right? Think about it. Jesus died on a Friday. He rested on the grave on, a, on the Sabbath on a Saturday. He rose on the Sunday. And, and so, so it, it, it screwed with everything. And before you know it, the Gentiles started becoming believers. And here's the deal. We have weekends today. Because of what the early Christians did. I want you to think about that. So even if you're here tonight and you don't believe in Jesus, he gave you the weekends. Jesus changed your life. Yeah. You have to understand that. But they gathered, and, and even, and I, I love that the writer of Hebrews says this, because even back then there was a bunch of them going, yeah, but I got stuff to do tonight. It's Sunday, it's hard. I'm really tired, I was late last night. 
I'll just text the children's ministry director that I can't be there and let them suffer and swim. They were doing it then. They were doing it then. I heard John Annan from like eight miles away say amen. And, and what, what the writer, what Paul says in Ephesians is that God is building something up. He's building something. He's doing something. And I want you to know something. Have you looked around? God's doing something here. Let's not screw it up. He's doing something in you if you'll draw near to him. And, and, and here, here's the deal. Um, I, I really believe this. It's, it's God's building. It's God's thing. And you need to commit yourself to a local church. I don't care if you go to lots of churches, that's fine, but have one that is yours. And it doesn't have to be this one. There's lots. I got to tell you, the, the coolest thing has been, um, the, you know, and I expected Clovis Hills to overwhelm us with love when we got the cancer diagnosis. But, um, and I'm so grateful. It's, it's just been amazing. But what's really touched me is how many other churches in this city have reached out to me and Kelly and said, we're praying for you. We love you. I don't know your wife, but I love her. And I'm, gonna, I'm like, what? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I got an email from a bishop in India and he said, all 240 of my churches are praying for your wife right now. Do, do you see? This thing, the church is bigger than you. It's not about you. It's about you being a brick in God's living building. And I'm going to be honest with you. In your life, being a brick in his building is better than trying to build your own. Because your own is going to look like a hoopty little tent in downtown Fresno. I'm just letting you know. Because you don't have a spiritual home. You're spiritually homeless. So a lot of people will say, Sean, Sean, I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow in my faith. What, what, what should I do? But here's the thing. Um, if you want to grow in your faith, the very first thing you need to do is you got to show up to grow up, okay? You got to come every week. You got to get involved in your church. You've got, you've got to be part of the body of Christ. And what happens is somehow in that, over time, your commitment to that, God uses all of those people. And you're like, yeah, but I like the music. I don't like the preaching. I don't see all people. God, do you not think God could use? Listen, in the Old Testament, God spoke to Balaam through a jackass. You don't think he could speak through me? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. You got to show up to grow up. says here, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And I wish I had time to explain the temple and what that means to you. Maybe another Sunday night. But can I, can I tell you this? Um, you ever seen someone who's really great that's really great at what they do? Um, you know, th think of your favorite artist or your favorite, um, you know, actor or actress or your favorite pastor, sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Your favorite, your, anything, your, your favorite um, athlete. 
You know, no one achieves greatness on their own. I don't know if you realize that. If someone achieves greatness, it's always because there's a tribe of people around them, supporting them, lifting them up, helping them, taking that place. I know in our culture, we just put the spotlight on the person that, that gets the notoriety, but there's always a team of people. You know, I, I, I think of Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham, who preached the gospel to billions of people, and he got all the notoriety, but there's a team of 40 or 50 people that made Billy Graham who he was. There was, there was a team of eight or nine people that showed up in a city a year before Billy Graham ever got there, and they just walked the city and prayed for eight hours a day. There was a team of people that were renting, you know, the, the, the stadiums or they, they, were, they were getting the artists and they were doing all the groundwork. There were people that were out meeting with all the different churches trying to get them on ball. And here's the thing, in your life, you'll never achieve greatness on your own. And it's not just about your greatness because you may find out this, that you, you, there was a team to help you get where you were because you could get someone younger than you, further than you. So, I want to encourage you guys. Grow up. Show up. I, um, I read a, an article on trauma recently because I went through something traumatic and my wife has gone through something even more traumatic than me. And um, one of the things they talked about, they did a study on people that uh, came out of Hurricane Katrina. And um, they, they, they compared them, people that had kind of spiritually surrendered to God and his will. That they were in the midst of something hard. They were in the midst of not knowing about something, not being in control of something. And they had this sense that they said, well, all that's in my heart I've put in God's hands and, and it... it it sucks right now, but I'm going to trust him. And then they studied also people that went through traumatic things that didn't have a faith like that. And, I, you know, big, big surprise, those that could surrender spiritually to the will of God, whether it be good or bad, flourished in trauma. And those that didn't and were grasping at trying, getting control didn't. Um, I have a friend, I'm, my job, right, is I preach, but I also do funerals, and it's really hard when you do your friend's funerals, and I had a friend, he was a young guy at this church, I really loved him, his name was Dylan, and he, he was 28 years old, and he, he, he got cancer, and, um, he, uh, he battled it for two years, like a, just like a man. And, and he just kept saying, you know, I know I have cancer. I don't think it's ever going to go away. I'd love if God would heal me. But I'm, I'm going to live my life for him till the day I die. And it's going to glorify him till the day I die. And I want you to know something. I was there the day Dylan died. And I've been in the room and watched people die who didn't know Christ. I watched my father, and this is the common so I can say it, who's the most badass man I've ever met. 
A Marine, 32 years, fought in Korea, fought in Vietnam, afraid of nothing. And I watched the, his life leave him and the fear in his eyes because he didn't know what was next. And I remember I was in the room with Dylan and his parents said, we think he's going to go today. Would you come over and just pray over him? And I came and I prayed and I put my hand on Dylan and it was such, there was such a peace in the room. And I remember I said, Dylan, we love you and we know we're going to see you again. Your mother and father are here. Your brothers, your sisters are here. And, and, and we love you. And in the name of Jesus, we release you to the Father. Go and be healed. And we were all kind of crying. I took my hand off him. And I was getting ready to leave because one of the things you do as a pastor is you don't linger too long because it's weird. And I stepped away and all of a sudden his wife or his mom went, oh my gosh, he's gone. He died like that. He was gone. <laughs> it was sad. <laughs> totally sucked. But here's the thing. Your life is fragile. Don't waste your life just drinking coffee and looking at Snapchat. I'm going to change the world. I pressed like on 30 non-profs. God has such a bigger plan for your life, but you will never actualize it until you surrender. Until you say, okay, I'm tired of going my way. I'm laying down my way. I don't even know. And mo let's be honest. Most of us in this room, we don't even know what our way is. Our way is just kind of wandering from weekend to weekend, doing lame stuff. And then we live in Fresno and we're just here. And we're hoping like, oh, we can get away or I can go do something great or do something exciting. And then it comes and then it goes. But here's the thing. God has something so much greater from you. And if you will lay down your way and you will take up his God will begin to reveal it to you and he won't show it to you all at once. You're not going to get a whole moment. He's going to ask you to take a, one step of faith into the darkness and believe in Jesus. And then he's going to ask you to take another step of faith into the darkness. And the rest of your life, you're just going to keep stepping into the darkness. But here's what I want you to know. When you become a believer in Jesus, the Bible says that you are now the light of the world. And every time you take a step in the darkness, it lights up just enough for where you're at. But you don't, Get that until you receive him. Jesus said in Revelation 23, 20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. He'll come in. It says in John 1, 12, it says, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, not to those who go to the commons or those who are good people or to those who walk old ladies across the street. It says, as many as received him and to those who believed in his name, they'll become children of God. It says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And for some of you, tonight's the night you do that. For some of you, tonight's the night that, it's, that you actually come home because remember, home is a relationship. And it's coming home to a relationship with Jesus. So let's pray.
Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything that you give. And I thank you for the home that you've offered us. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight, Lord, that has never received you before, Father, if there's anyone God, give them the courage right now to, to, to invite you in. If that's you tonight, maybe you've never done that before. All you have to do is talk to God in the quietness of your heart. I'm not gonna make a spectacle of you. But if you've never done that and you sense Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, I wanna encourage you right now, open it. Just talk to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I realize my sin has separated me from you. Come into my life. Forgive me. I lay down my way. And in faith, I want to go your way. If that's you this evening, if that was a prayer of your heart, just with every head bowed and eye closed, would you do me a favor right now? Would you raise your hand and look at me? I want to pray a blessing over you if that was your prayer. Hold it high. Don't be ashamed. Be brave. Lord God, this evening, we want to come home. Some of us have been far from home. And you've never left us. You've never forsaken us. You've waited patiently for us. And tonight, the light is on and you're waiting for us to come home, Lord. So I pray for those, Lord, that know you, but they've been away that tonight you would warmly welcome them home. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone prayed. It said, amen. Hey, if you raise your hand tonight, on behalf of this church, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Maybe tonight God is, has touched you, or maybe you're sick, or maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you're like, I'm crying and I don't know why. Here's why. is because your soul is running faster than your brain right now. And your soul is telling you there's a God and he loves you. And if you need prayer, we're gonna have some people, um, they'll be over there in the darkness. There's Mike right there. He'll take you over there in the darkness. And if you're a girl, he won't pray with you. Don't worry, we've got girls. He's kind of weird. <laughs> Mike's my buddy. But <laughs> if you need prayer though, don't be ashamed. I need it. I'm probably going to cry like a baby the minute the music starts. There's prayer over here. Pastor Derek can pray with you. But let's stand up right now and let's worship God. Let's worship him as the, the band kind of leads us in worship.